the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Thank you for being with us. I wanna, I'm hoping and praying that today you will be encouraged. Well, if you're joining us for the first time here at the sanctuary, I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation. That is just one of the translations of the Bible. And you might ask, so what are the differences, right? Well, scholars have taken their time to dig into the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. And they have done their best to make it understandable and in translating it into modern English. And the idea of a translation is so that it translates, right, to the reader. Well, there are two different ways to do this. The first way that they do that is word for word. So they take a word and they go, this is exactly what that means, and they put it next to the next word and do it like that. The other idea, the other way is idea for idea. So they say, here's what they were trying to communicate in this paragraph, in the sentence, and they translate it that way. Well, there are a lot of amazing and wonderful translations out there. Uh, New International Version, the New American Standard, uh, the New Century, uh, there's new, the English Standard. There's so many great versions out there of each Bible, and it represents uh, different reading levels, different styles. And it, I'll tell you what, if you look forward to reading your Bible, you've probably got one of the good translations, right? Um, but sometimes, every once in a while, I come across a Bible translation that gets us stuck. You ever, you ever get stuck reading the Bible? It, it, sometimes it's archaic language. It's uh, the old King James, thy, thee, thine, oft, beseech. You know, you're like, what are they talking about, right? That's the archaic way. There's sometimes it's academic language where I'm reading the Bible and I got to have a dictionary right next to me so I can understand what, what is this word? I want to understand this word. And then you ever come across the theological words? It's, it's what's formerly known as Christianese, right? It's like, what the heck is that? You know, I don't know what that word means either. Well, the New Living Translation has taken some of the, the ease and p- given us some ease into reading. So here's an example of it. Take the word sanctification. Sanctification. This is a really good example of Christianese. It's not a word that we use unless we're in church. And in uh, the ESV, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. And I'm like, well, what, what, but it still doesn't tell me what sanctification is. Well, the definition of sanctification is the act or the process of acquiring or being made or becoming holy. Well, check out how the New Living Translation takes that same verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and, and they translate it this way. God's will for you is to be holy. Instead of using the word sanctification, to be holy, which is what it means. So stay away from all sexual sin. Now, it's obvious that these words, all the words that are written here, are, are, are meant to be read out loud. And, and, and in public, in fact, in worship, the Bible has plenty of uh, examples of where the, the word of God is being read in public. And that is so true even for today. In fact, I will let you know, most people will hear the Bible read aloud in church than they are even likely to read it alone at home on their own. And so one of the primary goals of the New Living Translation, the NLT, is to ensure that it would be excellent for public reading. So I'm gonna be reading out of the NLT, and I think because it reads so well, it has an immediate impact. It's like, wow. Okay, that makes sense to me. I understand that, the word of God. So last week, I I just wanted to get that to you. So last week, uh, I started a new series, uh, and we were looking at how Jesus dealt with the religious 
of his day. Uh, Last week, I I said this. Jesus was religiously irreligious to the religious about their religion. Right mouthful, right? Listen, if you just got lost, please tune in. Last week, I I went through and I defined each of those words. I, I said, okay, so what does this mean to us? And so I walked through Jesus' personal disgust with the religious beliefs and tasks and obligations that were being pressed down on, his, on the people of his day. Uh, and if you missed that, please go to iTunes, go onto our website. Make sure, in fact, make sure you get the app. I know Pastor Jen already mentioned it, but if you don't have the app yet, please go on the App Store, go on to the Google Play Store. Please get our app, the Sanctuary SCV. Get the app and make sure you get, in fact, get it today because you're gonna wanna follow through with the teachings that we're, we're going through today, this morning. Jesus, didn't come to start a religion. I want you to hear that. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to set us free and to start the church, but not a religion. And what Jesus started cannot be done privately. He he, he designed it in such a way that we can't be coming to our own conclusions about spirituality or theology. Well, here's what I believe about God. Well, where did you come with that belief? Well, I thought of it myself. Eh, That's not the way this works. The church is where we are supposed to learn how to submit to one another and to submit to authority that's above and beyond us, outside of ourselves. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew. The good news of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 18. I want you to hear something Jesus was talking. He was was talking about how we're supposed to function together according to his teachings. Watch the way he teaches us. In chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, listen to what Jesus says. He says, if another believer... That's another believer in Jesus, right? If another believer sins against you, I need you to go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, says, you know what, you're right, I totally blew that, right? If you've won that person back, verse 16, but if you are unsuccessful, you go and you confront that person, you say, hey man, that really hurt my feelings, right? And they go, well, I don't care. Here's what he says. If you're unsuccessful, take another person with you. Take a couple people with you. Go back again so that everything you say can be confirmed by a couple of other people watching. They're they're witnesses there going, hey, listen, that hurt me, right? Then verse 17, watch this. If that person still refuses to listen, I need you to take your case to the church. Then if they aren't gonna accept the church's decision, you need to treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Right? So watch this. Jesus is essentially telling us, listen, we're supposed to be functioning in this way. And it is clear that in these scriptures that the church is both community and authority. See, we're going together with one another. And if it doesn't work, make sure you're talking to somebody about this, right? I believe that the abuse and the misuse of these verses in Matthew chapter 18 and, uh, and I also believe from ignoring them altogether, is the reason that the church is in the mess that it's in. We have not followed through on the teachings of Jesus. When, somebody, when I got a problem with somebody, I go to that person. I don't go to another person and go, hey, listen, I got a problem with that person over there. See, that, that's what Jesus is saying. If you have a problem with someone, you go directly to them. And if it doesn't work out, you bring another person and say, hey, c- come on, I really wanna be made right with this person. Would you come help me be made right with this person? Hey, listen, last time you, you blew me off. I, I, I came and I told you how it hurt me. You blew me off. And so I just want, do you really want to blow me off? Yeah, I want to blow you off. Okay, well, you heard it, right? They just want to blow me off. See, he's given a structure. 
But I think because of the misuse of this, these verses, again, we're in a lot of trouble. We're not working out our offenses. We're, and, and I gotta tell you also, too often the church, the body of Christ, has abused its power. Throughout history, we can see it, where the church used this power to push people out. Well, you know, we don't like you, so you're out of the church. It's like, wow. And so, and I get it. We, we've created a mess on our own. But I want you to know that when you don't take care of these things in Matthew 18, when we, when we don't take care of it, what ends up happening is it, it divides us. So much so, watch this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, I want to show you something. This is the result of irreconciliation. When we don't reconcile with one another, here's what it, here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let's not neglect our meeting together like some people do. But we need to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his drawing, his, his day of his return is drawing near. See, this is already happening in the early church. People are already neglecting this gathering, this place called church, and the encouragement that comes with it. I, I want you to hear this because I, I'm not saying that Matthew 18 was the reason for Hebrews 10. What I am saying is that oftentimes, Hebrews 10 is the result of not following through on Matthew 18. Did, did you follow that there? It's just what happens. When, when we let things come between us, we tend to be divided. We tend to stay away from each other. Well, it's clear that the Bible and Jesus did not intend Christians to live out their spiritual lives unaccompanied. We're supposed to be with one another. We're supposed to have true and meaningful conversation and connection. We need one another. If we are going to discern what this is all about, because this is filled with so much truth. There's so much to be told here. But if we're going to discern what it means, it's, it's kind of hard to comprehend sometimes. Peter told us this. Watch this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, listen to what he says. Listen, everybody needs to realize that no prophecy in Scripture, everything that's been written down in Scripture, doesn't come from the prophet's own understanding. It's not something that they think up on their own. There are so many times when we need to get, back, we need to get some help with understanding both the historical context or, or even where it's coming from so, so that we understand what's happening on the pages of the Bible. And so we come together. I mean, how often have we heard the Bible misquoted or even misused, right? Where somebody takes just a portion of the Bible and sometimes it's innocent by well-meaning people, right? Other times, there are those who actually want to distort the scriptures, the meanings, and, and manipulate people into doing things for personal gain. Well, Peter says, listen, we need one another. Watch this. He comes over just a couple pages over. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He continues in the same stream of thought. Listen to what he says. Remember that it's our Lord's patience that gives people time to be saved. Man, God is patient. He's wanting everybody to come on board, right? This is what our beloved brother Paul wrote to you about with all the wisdom that God gives. And he speaks of these things in his letters. And he says this, he says, some, some of you, you've heard these things that he's talking about and you're thinking, man, this is hard to understand. But those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. So that's what I'm talking about. Some people, it's just an innocent mistake. They don't know the words. Others are twisting and manipulating. They're unstable, right? Just as they do with other parts of scripture. And you know what's the result? Their destruction. Ye man, ignorant and unstable. Those people, those people are twisting in truth. Now listen, I believe that God has laid out a whole bunch for us. There are many things that God wants for the church. God, he lays it all. He says, here's what I want for you. And like any good father, 
God wants us to get along. We, we're supposed to be family. We need to act, we're his family and we need to act like it. Not, let me be very clear, not like our families of origin where there's conflict to say, that's why Jesus lays it out to us, right? He says, I want you to act according to my values. I want you to act according to my desires for you. I am your father. And we've got family chores to do, folks. God has laid out a, a, a responsibility for us. While we're living in this house called the planet Earth, there is a stewardship that he's called us to. Uh, we're to steward the planet. We're to steward our resources. We're to steward our relationships. And he says, hey, listen, here's how you're to steward your marriage. Here's how you steward your parenting. Here's how you steward your business. There's a whole bunch of ways that my family responds in this environment. And so I want you to understand that, right? And it's all outlined right here. Every single, every single part of it's outlined in this book. Well, as he gives it to us, sometimes it's hard to understand. And he wants us to understand who he is, and who we are, what he's like, and what we're supposed to be like. Again, it's outlined here. What he's done, what he's doing, what he's gonna do, and what he wants us to be doing. But it's right here. The context of the church is right here. Even though we can't be together in the same room, the context is that we're going through the word together and learning. What does God have for us? That's why we come together each week to read his word, to worship him, to serve one another, to serve our world, our community. And my prayer for the church, for the body of Christ, whether you attend the sanctuary or you attend that church at the gymnasium at the school down the street, at the junior high, maybe you're in a storefront building. I don't know where you gather in your church, but we are one. Again, with his values, what he believes is important, we believe is important, but we gather together and that church, I gotta tell you, I pray for the church. And my prayer for the church comes out of Isaiah chapter 43. Here's what, here's what it says. Listen to this. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. I'm going to gather you, my children. Check this out. You and your children, I'm going to gather you from the east and from the west. I'm going to say to the north and to the south, bring my kids back. I want my kids back home. I want them back from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God because I made them for my glory. It was I who created them. See, God wants his people back where they belong in relationship with him and relationship with his children. All of that, all of that is what I'm targeting in this new series. Spiritual but not religious. That God wants his people home. We've probably heard that phrase. Well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I, I told you last week about the first time I heard it on an airplane, and I had no idea what it meant. And so I literally, in the conversation, I said, could you stop for a minute? What exactly does that mean to you? And then he began to explain it to me. Maybe you've even said it. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Well, last week, I broke down that phrase to where I could find myself actually using it. I could say, you know what? I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious, because Jesus was your religious. But what does that phrase really mean? When, when we hear it in our culture, when, when, when the last time we heard someone say it, when they say, I'm spiritual but not religious, what did they mean by it? Well, at one time, religious and spiritual were synonymous. Those two words, we could use them interchangeably. But now they've, become, they've come to a place that they totally describe totally different things. Sometimes they overlap, but they're just different things. American culture has focused so long on two major issues. They're trying to change because this is what we do as Americans, right? Removing our dependence on institutions. 
I'm not going to depend on, they call it, right, the man, and then individualism, right? We, we're in America, the land of independence, right? We have a, we, once a year, we celebrate on July 4th, Independence Day. I'm independent. And, and then we, we're always, man, I, I want to, we're to be free from tyranny. Tyranny? Well, I, I can't tell you how many people see the mistakes that we have made in the church as part of that tyranny. And I just want to get away from the church. And so moving away from the public traditions of what, what I would call institutional Christianity, right? What, what, what we hear use the, this phrase, organized religion, right? People have moved away from that. And, and they move into a more private experience of God within. Well, with the good help of the people at Barna, and you may have not heard of Barna, but Barna is a great organization. I want to I wanna look into this dynamic. Barna does a bunch of surveys with all kinds of Americans across the country, and they break down those surveys, and they give us statistics, and, and, and they take these surveys and go, here's, here's a better understanding. The Barna Group was started back in 1984, and it is probably the leading organization when it comes to the crossroads of faith and culture. How do those two things come together? And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to launch into a series. This is in, in two weeks. I'm going to do these in two this first part in two parts, okay? I'm doing it in a meet and greet. Today, I want us to meet and learn how to greet the spiritual but not religious. I cannot tell you how many people are intimidated when they hear that phrase. You're having a conversation with someone and then they say this, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. And people go, okay, I don't know what to do with that. And then they walk away. Rather than engage it, as I had done on that airplane that day, I said, wait, and again, because it was new, I was like, what does that even mean? But see, people are intimidated by that. So today, here's what I want to do. Today, I want to introduce you to the spiritual but not religious through statistics, through some surveys, et cetera, that have been done. And, uh, and I want to introduce them to you because I want you to understand because isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to understand and then help people fully embrace God's love and truth. This is what God's called us to. But if we're not stopping to understand, if instead we're intimidated, like, I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, I don't know how to talk to someone like that. I, I'm hoping that we will learn how to talk to people who are spiritual but not religious. And then next week is part two of this, and that is those who love Jesus but not the church. Well, what do you do when you meet someone? Yeah, well, I used to go to church. I don't do that anymore. You know, God has just led me on my own spiritual. How do you respond? To it? See, most people just go, okay, I'm totally, I don't know what to say about that, and so I'm going to walk away. But what if we could learn how to meet and then greet? You catch that? The greet. That's what I'm calling this, meet and greet, because we're to embrace these people who are spiritual but not religious, who are loving Jesus but not the church. I want us to learn how to do that. And so today I'm starting that series, the spiritual but not religious, and then next week we'll get to the other part. Well, who are these people? Who are these people? What do they believe? How do they live out their spirituality? The spiritual but not religious. Barna has separated them, this organization has separated them into two types of spirituality. And so grab your app because I want you to be able to fill these in. These are coming to you really quick here. Phil, this is your first one. Spiritual but not religious, number one. The first group is those who I self-identify as spiritual but say that religion, that's your fill-in, religion isn't very important in their lives. Th these are the people who self-identify with religious beliefs. They're, they're Christians and Catholics and, and Jewish and Buddhists, right? But essentially, for all intents and purposes, they're non-participators. Yeah, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I, I don't do that organized religion kind of a thing. 
you can see it when you take a closer look at some of their practices. I'm going to bring up on the screen for you, these are some statistics. This is, this is part of what Barna has brought to us, and uh, almost 93% of the spiritual but not religious have not attended a religious gathering in the past six months. Whew, see, again, so th- they are spiritual, but they're not religious. Well, I'm going to make this graphic and a few others available to you this week. I'm going to put them out on through our website, maybe even through the app. I'm going to figure out how to do that, right? Uh, but I want to get these available to you. Essentially, there's no real community affiliation. It's, it's, it's a lone ranger. And let me be very clear. Once a lone ranger, eventually a lone stranger, a dead stranger. It's like nobody knew that. I don't know who that person was. They were, they were all on their own. I didn't know anything about them. That's why God says we need one another. Here's the second one, spiritual but not religious number two. The second group is this one. Are those who self-identify as spiritual but have no religious beliefs. That's the fill in the blank, religious beliefs. These are people we would call atheists or agnostics or the unaffiliated. And, And as you're filling that in, the religious beliefs, these are different than the first group. Those first group, they have some religious beliefs and background, but not this one. Now, both of these groups share some tendencies, despite representing two totally different types of spirituality. See, the SBNR1, right, the spiritual but not religious number one, that first group, they're more religiously literate. They have done some reading. They've either read the Bible, they've read the Torah, they've read read spiritual writings, so they're familiar with it. The second group, they're like, no, no, I, I have none of that. They have completely discarded any kind of religion. But these two groups totally differ from the love Jesus but not the church group. And I'm going to get to them next week, okay? Uh, They're just very different. Those who love Jesus but not the church, they strongly identify with their faith, just not with the gathering. That's not where they're going. They've got traditional Christian views. They maintain these, these faith beliefs about God and their Christian practices. And the only one that they miss out on is the corporate ones. They don't get involved here. But the spiritual but not religious, I want you to understand them a little bit more. Watch this now. Barna says there's more women than men who are spiritual, not religious. And they're mostly boomers and Gen Xers, right? So in their 40s, down into their 30s, down into their 20s, right? Then once you get into the 20s, you're hitting some millennials, okay? But the spiritual but not religious, they hold these pretty loose ideas about who God is and how they practice that, how they practice their own spirituality, Statistically speaking, and I know some of this is heavier than normal, but but I want you to understand, because I want you to understand who the spiritual but not religious are, because we're meeting them all the time. And then that phrase comes out, and as I said, we're intimidated by it. We go, I don't even know what to say to that person. And so we walk away. Don't walk away. That's a moment for us to engage, to engage a conversation again on some understanding. Now, statistically speaking, I was saying, religion tends to go hand in hand with conservative values. Anybody, when when you get into organized religion, for the most part, people who are in organized religion are very conservative. And that's what makes the spiritual but not religious uncomfortable in the church. Because the church, as far as they're concerned, are hostile to their political attitudes, particularly around the divisive issues. And you know what those are, the hot button issues, abortion, same-sex marriage, transsexuality, those kinds of things, right? Right? Now, by the way, 
I'm going to put this in again. Would you pull up a, a, a slide of the app? If you do not have the app, please, I, I want to encourage you to get the app. Go to the App Store. Go to Google Play. Download the app today because on the app today, I, I want you to interact with this information, not just filling in the blanks. But there is a self-survey on the app today I would love for you to take, just for yourself. It's not going to go anywhere. You don't submit it to anybody. It's just for you to ask yourself a few questions. And this self-survey, what it'll do is just kind of tell you, oh, so how, how do I interact with this information? And, and then there's some questions in there. It's what I call conversations in community. So download the app today. Walk away with the app today because I, I really want you to take this. Okay, back, back, here we go. So the spiritual but not religious, both these groups, number one and number two, they're both what I would consider unorthodox. Now there's another big word. It, it, I would even say sometimes they're radically unorthodox. Now orthodox is it's just another one of those theology words. It's, it's a fancy way of saying traditionally accepted. This is what has been established. This is what's been approved. That's what orthodox means. Well, the spiritual, not religious, are pretty unorthodox. They, they don't follow the traditions. They believe that God represents a state of higher consciousness that a person may reach rather than an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect creator of the universe who rules the world today. And, and if we understand that, if we can go into a conversation understanding, okay, so they believe that spirituality is here, and right, he, that, that God is in the mind rather than in the heavens, then we can understand, we can start to have a conversation with them. Hey, fill in this blank here. The SBNRs, spiritual not religious, are likely to be polytheistic, and that just means more than one God, as opposed to monotheistic, which is one God. And as I just said, I believe one of those gods, they would believe one of those gods is themselves. If I can just get to the place where I can attain that higher consciousness, then I too am a god. But when they stray away from religious traditions, and, and that's, that wouldn't be a surprise to anybody that they, they move away from religious traditions. That's kind of to be expected. But again, it's that they, they think more God is here and God is within me than in, in, in the heavens. What's wild is that what the spiritual but not religious consider God is always hotly disputed among themselves. They can't come to the decision, they can't come to the conclusion about who God is. And I think that's, what I, that's part of what I mean when I say there's only thing, one thing worse than organized religion, and that's disorganized religion. Nobody can decide it. It's like, well, I think this is what God is. Well, I think this is what... But listen, on the one hand, that's the way they like it. It's the freedom to define who God is. It's their own spirituality. It's what characterizes the spiritual but not religious. By definition, they're hesitant to define God because they're divided about the, the value of religion in general. It's like, do I think that religion has value to me? Well, not necessarily me, but maybe to you. But how can I say, how can I say with conviction it has no value if it does to you, but not to and it just gets really tricky. But I don't want us to be, I don't want us to move away from them. Because that disinterestedness, that it's not fully there. I want you to hear that. Many are are, are not going to say that religion is harmful. They they won't they won't say that. See, our culture they have a resistance to the institution, right? Organized religion, the church, right? And that's just a response because the church has been oppressive. I, I've said it before, mistakes were made, bad mistakes, terrible things. We have done terrible things in the name of Jesus. But beloved, listen, 
please don't judge me today on what I did 15 years ago. And watch this. In, in this particular case, don't judge the church of today on the mistakes that were made a thousand years ago. Yeah, well, they brought on the crusades. They killed all these people. I understand that. And you know what? For that, I am terribly sorry. That was terrible. That was a terrible thing they did. I can agree with you. But that's, that's not the church of today. Come, come have a conversation with me about the church of today. Here's the next blank I want you to fill in. The spiritual but not religious want total freedom from any kind of religious authority. Authority is the word you're filling in there. This is, I would it's almost the task of the spiritual but not religious. Is they're just, they're just suspicious about religious works. Here's the second thing about the spiritual but not religious. They hold really loose to distinctiveness. It's not like, this is what makes us distinct. There's really no distinctiveness within the spiritual but not religious. They kind of embrace so many things. They're convinced that all religions basically teach the same thing. So boundaries are practically non-existent. If you like that, okay, if you consider that, great. And, but I think that's the point of spiritual but not religious. There is truth in all religions. So they believe, they refuse to believe that any single religion has a monopoly on the ultimate reality of what spirituality is. Well, I think this is it, and I think that is that, and you think this. Uh, okay, so I, I get where you're going there, and, but we have to engage that conversation. Tell me how you got to that. Well, I think it. Well, isn't most, watch this, isn't most good solid truth found outside of ourselves? Somebody else has to define that for us. But see... There is, to be religious is to be institutional. You catch that? It, 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 they, get, they get stuck. They go, well, if I, if I start to embrace some other beliefs, then, then I'm going to be part of organized religion. And that's not necessarily true. To be religious in their minds is to practice their spirituality in accordance with some outside authority, which is partial. There's part of it. Yeah, we believe in the outside authority of the Bible. We believe in the outside authority of God giving us the Bible through men. We believe these things, but the spiritual but not religious, see, they, they want to tell you this. My spirituality is deeply personal. It, it is deeply private. That, that's my spirituality. So fill this one in. This is your next blank. Most world religions point outside of oneself to a higher power for wisdom and guidance, while spirituality, especially when it's divorced from religion, they're looking within in other words, I am my authority. I, I tell me what I believe. And I think this is actually, as you're filling that out, the outside is the first blank, within is the second blank. I think this is the connection point for the I love Jesus but not the church group. See, both the spiritual but not religious and the I love Jesus but not the church, they're both living out their spirituality in the absence of the institutional church. They're both doing it on their own. The spiritual but not religious still take part in a set of spiritual practices, but it's more of a mishmash. It's kind of, I'll take some of that. Ooh, that sounds good to me. Ooh, I like that too. That's good. Ooh, I like the way that sounds. Ooh, I want to be able to do that. And so they kind of pull it all together. In fact, their most common spiritual practice is spending time alone in nature. And doesn't that make sense, actually? I mean, why not? That's, have you ever just been out in the middle of nature and come completely aligned with God? As a believer, come completely aligned with God. Here's why. All the distractions are gone. And guess what's in total nature? God, the creator of it all. And so they go, I feel close to God when I'm in nature, not when I'm in church. I get that because I'm not, I'm not surrounded by stick and stucco, brick and mortar, and I'm not surrounded by people. It's just the presence of God in all of his glory. 
And they go, so that must be spirituality. And please hear me, because we're going to get into this in weeks ahead. It's not wrong to be in nature. In fact, God wants us in nature. He wants us to experience the fullness of who he is. And oftentimes it happens in, in, in nature. But being in nature takes away all the distraction, all the, all, all the extra voices that are around. And so I go, oh, this is where I feel one with God. Well, there's a reason for that. But it's that plus this, plus the See, and people, I don't want to do all the plus stuff. I just want to do it my way. Overall, it's easy to see why the spiritual but not religious are attracted to informal and individual modes of spiritual practice. Here's the next blank for you to fill in. Because the spiritual but not religious are exploring what spirituality looks like independent of religious categories and beliefs. I don't want to do it the way they do it. So independent is the fill in there. Again, next week, I'm gonna, we're going to meet and greet those who love Jesus but not the church. See, they're, they're exploring religious faith outside of institutional religion. Now, I, I realize a lot of this might seem like semantics to you, and, and, I, and I want you to know there are several key differences between these groups. Those who love Jesus but not the church, they're disenchanted with the church. The spiritual but not religious, they're disenchanted with religion. Those can be closely put together, but they really are two different things. They, the, those who love the, Jesus but not the church, they just, they just don't want to be a part of the, the gathering of people coming together. They have essentially rejected religion, and they prefer to define their own boundaries of spirituality. I, I believe my spirituality includes this. And so they mix different beliefs and practices from a variety of religions and traditions. And here's the wild thing. Statistically, both of these groups are growing. Both groups, the spiritual but not religious, and those who love Jesus but not the church, both of those groups are growing. They, they are, however, still our mission field. We're still called to reach these people, and they're all around us. Those who love Jesus but not the church, obviously they're more favorable toward coming back to the church. In fact, they would be receptive to rejoining the church again. Something hurt, some kind, of, some kind of situation happened over here and it's like, I don't go back to church because of that. And that's why I pray, Lord, bring them back from the north and the south and the east and the west. Bring them back. Beloved, we cannot write off the spiritual but not religious. They are all around us and they are distinct among religious peers. And here's why. Because they're, they're open to spirituality. They're open to the supernatural. They're, they're already there. They're already thinking there must be a God because I feel something beyond myself. Most who have rejected religious faith don't describe themselves as, as spiritual. That, again, that would be the agnostic, the atheist. Who go, ah, there's, nothing, there's nothing spiritual. I, just, I like to be out doing what I like to do in nature or whatever. But I believe it's the desire of the spiritual but not religious that actually could open the door to some really cool spiritual conversations if we would engage it. And that's simply saying, well, tell me what you mean by that. Really, that's interesting. What does that mean to you, spiritual but not religious? When someone, when someone gives us that, rather than being intimidated and going, okay, I guess this conversation's over because I'm a Christian and we could never talk together. No, sure we can. The conversations are gonna be different from those who love Jesus but not the church and the spiritual and about religious, but they're groups of people who are outside of the church and they both have this internal leaning toward the spiritual side of life. And so I wanna encourage us today. Let's not just, when we hear that phrase, go, yep, 
I'm done. I'm not talking to them then. If, that, if that's it, I, I, I don't have anything to say to them because we're on different pages. No, 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 that's not true. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're here and you're listening to me and you realize, you know what? I'm, I'm, I would consider myself spiritual but not religious. And the way you just described me is I, I kind of am believing the God of my creation. This is the God that I created. Well, may I tell you something, please? You were created for a relationship with God. God loves you. He, he cares for you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. That, and so, and again, what you're feeling, the Bible makes it very clear that God is drawing people to himself. And so you feel this thing. There is something spiritual inside of you saying, I'm being called forward to something. I, 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 I can tell you what that is. It's God calling you out. But here's the thing. It's a beautiful part, beautiful part of his love is he's given us free will. He says, you know what? You get to make those decisions as you want. If you want to believe that, I'm not going to force you to believe this. I'm not going to force myself on you. I love you enough that you get, I'm going to give you the choice. Well, I know what I did with that choice. I went down my road. I went down, I went down a road that said, then I'm going to please myself. I love this, and I love this, and I love this, and I, and I, went, to, I went after all these other loves, which what's the Bible calls sin. Right? I just went after the stuff that pleased me. Here's the wild part. God didn't give up on me. And I want you to hear God's not giving up on you either. God continues to pursue you. Even when we choose our own way, God continues to pursue us. Here's what he did. He said, I'm going to send my son Jesus for you. Yeah, but I'm like totally not into God. I know. Here's what the Bible says. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. Even while we're against him, he goes, no, I'm still for you. Yeah, but I'm against you. Yeah, but I'm still for you. So here's the question. Would you today choose? You, you get to choose. You, we, again, I told you, we're all given free will. We all get to choose. But today is another choice. Today's another choice. Will I continue to pursue these things in my life that I've pursued in the past? Will I continue to pursue them in the future? Or will I stop today? And the creator of the universe who knows me better than I know myself, who's trying to draw me in, who's trying to love me in spite of me. You ever been that place where you're just like, I'm not worthy of love and you push people away from you? I know that's part of my MO. I'm sorry to my bride and my friends. I, I don't know why it comes in. But if you're here today and you're listening to these words and you're thinking, I'm spiritual but not religious I want to shift today. I would like to invite Jesus into my life. I want to accept that free gift. That's right. God says, I can make you right. I can make our relationship right again. But it happens through my son, Jesus. I would like to pray with you this morning. Father God, whoever's out there, wherever you are, in your living room, wherever you're, wherever you're watching this, wherever you're listening to this, wherever you are, I want to agree with you that Jesus comes into your life today. Jesus says, you know what? I want to make you whole. I want to restore you. I want to reconcile. You hear that word? Make the books correct again. It's been out of balance for so long. I want to bring them into balance again. I want to make you right with God. Only Jesus can do that. He said, to the, he said this to us. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So if that's you, if that's you, I say yes. Jesus comes into your life. He starts to make you whole today. There is a transformation that happens for you in Jesus' name. Let it be so and let it be done. 
Well, up on your screen right now is, is a slide, and it essentially says this. If, if I said yes to Jesus, I want him to come into my life. Would you text the word Jesus to 276-9090? 276-9090. That number's up on your screen. Just text the word Jesus to that number, because here's what we want to do. We want to pray for you. We want to agree with you, and we want to give you some next steps. So that word, to the word Jesus to 276-9090 in the 661 area code. Just text that word to us because we want to pray for you. I want to pray that new life would start again. Would you join us? We're going to be singing some songs about the creator of the universe. We're going to be singing these songs about our devotion to him and his devotion to us.